A week after putting her to sleep, I received Neil's ashes in a forest green can. She'd never expressed any great interest in the outdoors, so I scattered her remains on the carpet and then vacuumed her back up. The cat's death struck me as the end of an era. It was, of course, the end of her era, but with the death of a pet, there's always that urge to string black crepe over an entire 10 or 20 year period. The end of my safe college life, the last of my 30 inch waist, my faltering relationship with my first boyfriend. I cried for it all and wondered why so few songs were written about cats. We're doing fine, I'm doing fine. Welcome to We're Doing Fine, book club edition. He's Robbie. She is Lisa. And this month we read David Sedaris's Me Talk Pretty One Day. And I have to apologize. Normally we are very professional in our little intro quote. But for the life of me, I cannot not laugh when he hoovers up the cat's ashes. <laughs> oh I don't know why I find it so funny. I... I thought I thought I think it's very funny, but it also hit a little close to home. <laughs> oh, no, oh, no. Don't worry. Um, it wasn't someone I was related to. No, one time I was playing D and D, and my friend was like just talking about how she had recently like dusted all of their um, dusted all of their shelves, and our DM reaches over to grab the monster manual from above me off of the shelf, and then a bunch of dust falls down, and I'm like Emma. I thought you said you just dusted. And my friend goes, don't cry. And I'm like, what? Um, it was it was the DM's, her husband's um, grandma's ashes. And they had fallen all <gasps> over me. <laughs> and they had oh to vacuum God, her up too. <laughs> they vacuumed her off of you. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, Lisa. <laughs> Are you okay? I mean, I might be haunted, but you never know. Yeah, she's with you now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much of her I breathed in, but you know. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Terrifying. <laughs> oh, no. You, you, know, you know, there's just a lot of things that can go wrong with ashes. I'm just saying. <laughs> there's a lot that can go wrong with ashes. But the problem is this seemed to be exactly the plan. He was just like, yeah. She didn't care for the outdoors. I just scatter on the carpet and move her up again. I mean... What else are you going to do, right? True, true. Very true. Well. Well, guys. I, yes. I mean, you usually give like a quick a roundabout of what, what summary, right? Yes, yes. So, as usual, guys, spoiler free, um, Me Talk Pretty One Day is basically a collection of short essays, vignettes, if you will. Mm-hmm. About David's life, Mistress Sedaris's life, and that's about it. Like they're they're cute little stories. Some of them involve him going to college. Some of them involve him growing up with his sister. Some of them involve his relationship with his parents. And it's weird because I don't think you could really spoil this book. Yeah, that's true. Because um, like, how do you spoil someone's experiences? Yeah, but it is very very funny. Yes. Um. So, genuinely, go and read this one. Um, I don't think I expected to enjoy it as much as I did. 
Um, so I would, I would say, I think when Lisa told me about it and I looked at it and I bought it, I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> um, you were expecting but it, it was, to be boring, uh, weren't you? I was expecting it to be really, really boring. Um, and I snort laughed on the bus multiple times. So genuinely go and buy it, give it a read, and then come back and join us for a spoiler-filled episode of We Are Doing Fine Book Club Edition. Yeah. Well, now that we're getting to spoilers, um, I don't know about you. So I already had been like exposed to David Sedaris um, before this book and this book club. And that's part of why I recommended we read that this because we were like, we need a nonfiction. We need it's it's been a minute, um, but it tends to be quite dry. The the first time I had met Mr. Sedaris, um, <laughs> the only time, <laughs> but I went to a reading of his um, and I went in place of friend of the pod, Chris, with the rest of her family. So I was her stand in for the evening. And I it was delightful. That. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I knew nothing Chris about today. him. Right? Yeah, I knew nothing about him. I knew nothing about what I was getting into. But I was like, if this was something that the entire Fall Clan could get into, then I'm behind it. And then I ended up being yeah. the exact very last person in line to get a book signed. And he was very nice. I love that. I love that. That's so cute. I'll be honest. About For the first third of the book, I was like, why am I reading this? Who is he <laughs> that he just has deserved an entire book of essays about his his own life. Like, I'd never heard of him before. And I was just like... it Like, it, it reads like it is an autobiography. No, a biography? Autobiography. He did it himself. Oh, yeah, that's... The, I always get confused over which one's which. So it's like, it is autobiographical. And I was just a bit like, you know, usually you got to do something. Like, you've got to you got to know who these people are when you're reading these books. But it was just so fucking funny. And the reason I picked that quote, because I won't lie, guys, I didn't even give Lisa a say. I was like, I've got a quote. Don't worry <laughs> about it. This is true. Was because that cat quote was when I was like, okay, this is fucking funny. Like, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in this now. You know, I'm enjoying this officially. Because for sure, for the first few bits, I was just a bit like, why? Why? Yeah. Who is this man that's just... Like, I could fucking do that. I could write a series of funny essays about my life. I don't think anybody would fucking publish it. You never know. I was thinking the entire time, I was like, how do I get this job? Yeah, literally. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I think I'm an okay writer. And I have weird experiences. Yeah. I feel Lit- like I've told yeah. two on this podcast, but... <laughs> Mike, if, I, I reckon if we just transcribed most of our podcast, we'd get a book sign in. There we go. Let's get on it. Oh, so that could be my task. There you go. Love that for us. Well, speaking I of love which, that for us too. we have some listener questions. Mm. Oh, stunning. Love that. Um, so the first few come from Bill. Thank you, Bill. Oh, hi, Bill. Friend of the pod. Might have heard of him. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Um, so Bill's first question is, do you think these stories are inherently funny? Or is it the way he tells them that makes them funny? As in, if you told the same story, would you get the same reaction? Or does Sedaris's writing just add that je ne sais quoi? Very nice about adding the French, by the way. That is a very good question, Bill. And I think inherently it has to be that these none of these stories are inherently funny. I think 
if you put the right gravitas on them, most of the essays that he writes are quite sad. Yeah. Um, for ex- like the one, there's an entire essay about how he struggles to realize that he's actually not that great an actor, mm. and and falls into a really bad drug problem. Yeah. But it's hilarious. Yeah, um, and I find it. Like, a lot of it is that it's funny in retrospect, right? Because, you know, anything can be funny in retrospect if you give it enough time and enough, like, thought and, like, enough space, right? To to find what's funny yeah. within it. But... Yeah. I think a lot of these stories are those you'll, you have to laugh or you'll cry scenarios. Yeah. And he's written them so perfectly that you only laugh. Because exactly. you don't really have that sort of... He's done such a good job of writing it in a way that you don't have a moment to sort of fully accept how dark it is until you're doing a book club and analyzing exactly what happened. This is true. However, like, there is a good balance, I think. Like, there is a good balance, like, in in the chapters, um, The Youth in Asia, right? Like, yeah. that that is an inherently sad story, and I don't think, like, you can really get too much... Like, he adds things in it to make it funny, to make it more light, right? But at its core, it's still a sad story. It's still a story about loss. But it just adds something to make it wistful almost, right? Yes. But yeah, like, I think that one and The Late Show, right, where he talks about him getting kicked out of the house because he's gay, like, those are sad. And, like, they're still sad. They're still sad stories, but... He's able to bring levity to the situation with time plus humor. Yeah. And I think that is like a big aspect of this book. Like, as I say, a lot of them are sad stories, but he is able to just make them funny, like pull out those dark humor threads. And I think that's probably why we both enjoyed this, because we have quite dark humor. What? Me never. <laughs> don't, don't act coy now. <laughs> I'm shy. <laughs> you have a podcast. <laughs> well, moving forward. Next question from Bill. What story from your own lives would be funny or odd enough to be worthy of being put in a Sedaris book? Oh, Jesus, Bill. Put on the spot. <laughs> I'll start. Um... I think my first trip to Scotland, my first, like, the plane ride to Scotland, like, the whole situation around it, because, like, it started off the night before I left, um, we had a family dinner at my grandma's house, and, like, it ended very badly, ended terribly. Oh, no. People were in tears, and not in, like, like, a sad, you're going away way, um, And then, like, as I was going, like, my dad, because he works at the airlines, he was able to, like, walk me to the gate. And, like, it was, like, the first time I ever saw him cry. Um, (laughs) And then, like, on top of that, I had just the most awful layover in London Heathrow where they wouldn't let me in to, like, the actual waiting area. Like, I had to wait before you, like, check, like, before the TSA check. Um, Oh, no. Because... The way I was flying, I was flying standby. So they they had to ensure that I was actually getting on the flight before they let me in. 
So I had just like the worst layover because I was exhausted and tired and hadn't slept in like 30 hours. And then I land in Edinburgh finally. But we hadn't Mm -hmm. booked the right, like there was like a, the, the school had like a thing, a bus that would take you from the airport to the dorms, but we hadn't booked it. And I saw the whole group what would be my future roommates i saw them all leave together and i was like i don't get i don't get to go with them um so i had to take a taxi and it was my first time taking a taxi and that was very exciting but i was just exhausted and then the taxi dropped me off at the wrong place (laughs) oh shit oh so i knock on the door and this kid is like Oh, I can't help you. Like, it was literally two doors down. It was just, like, the wrong door. Oh. But, like, I think the fact that it was just a comedy of errors, a comedy of just everything going wrong, I think he could Mm. spin that into a very funny tale. That's fair. How about you? I don't know. I think you know my life. I think when you died. (laughs) Yeah, but that's not really that funny. But I think a lot of it, what we were just talking about, is how he can transform things that are that are aren't funny into something that's funny. That's true. I do love the idea that so when I was in the ambulance, they cut my t shirt, they cut my clothes off me mm-hmm. to do the electrical stuff. Um, and my nana was like, "He's got a nipple piercing," and my mom was like, "No, he fucking doesn't." And <laughs> I was like, well, "I'm fucking." fucking looking at it right now so he does yeah that would be a very funny story yeah quite quite humorous exactly funny things Mm. in every situation well thank you bill pleasure as always thank you bill a pleasure as always (laughs) all right our next question comes from jenna thank you jenna thank you jenna how do you feel about Sedaris mocking himself as a young artist and his penance of going to modern art pieces now? How do I feel about it? Mm-hmm. I mean, I quite liked it. I thought it was, um, I don't know, I think a lot of us make fun of or laugh about how we were when we were young and in college, right? Exactly. Um, I mean, his was a slightly worse ordeal, I think, than anything I had to deal with, but... Um, but I like that, and I like that he's still he's still like involved in the art bit, like the art scene. Yeah, I think it's very fun because like it it's the equivalent of what we now call cringe, right? Like he's cringing at his former self, and he goes these to these things yeah. to remind himself of his youth, but also of how fucking cringy he used to be, <laughs> and how he I'm sure yeah. he look, looks at it and he's just like these kids are gonna look back. And be embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've all done it. We all have. All right. This next question is a two-parter from Amy. Thank you, Amy. Oh, my God. Thanks, Amy. What do you think of the Sedaris family dynamics? Did they seem like a close-knit family to you? Um, I think it seemed very um, familiar. It felt very familiar. Cause... So there was the parents. There was the the brother and the sister and then David and I loved he the, I loved siblings. the essay about six siblings oh I did not remember all of them <laughs> he I know he had at least like I, two or three sisters 
One of them had my name. I know the only ones that really stand out were was the girl that did art that he hated mm-hmm. and um, Rooster. The the essay about Rooster was so funny. Just this kid like fucking swearing fucking every day with his fucking dad, motherfucker. And the dad just be like, <laughs> what's he like? What is he like? <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know. I think it's, it's uh, I wouldn't say close-knit. I don't think in a family that large you can really be close-knit unless you're like a cult. But... I think I think it's just very interesting because like they obviously have their little alliances and they have, you know, their their communal like okay these are our fucking parents okay let's fucking deal with them their weird dog habits and yeah and their penny so pinching hoarderness <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so let's bring this to Amy's second part of her question oh yes how was your perception affected. In the final story of the book, where his dad kicked him out of the house for being gay, did you find that a totally awkward piece to leave the story? No, I think that was actually the second yeah. to last story, but... I don't think I saw that one coming, and that one felt... It sort it of ruined of it punch. for me a bit. Yeah, because I... Like, I know that they had their quirks and they were a bit weird, but I kind of liked the idea that, you know, they were all sort of... Like, I never got the impression that they didn't love each other. Like, or, you know, I got the impression that this, you know, gruff man would just accept him. Yeah, this um, jazz lover. Yeah, like, it just, it felt really disconnected for me. Like, it didn't feel like the same dad that I'd read about for the rest of the book. And it, Yeah. But I, I guess maybe that's the point, right? Because a lot of these kids probably wouldn't have expected that yeah. when it happens. So... Thankfully, I, I've never experienced anything like that. Um, and I think that makes it more difficult for me to read anything like that and be like, who the fuck? Like, so yeah, that it did ruin it because I guess I thought I was reading a sort of like wholesome family memoir. Yeah. And then it was not wholesome. I find it interesting because like, obviously the book like the stories that are selected, they're not in chronological order. Mm. So I feel like, I feel like they almost added in other stories about the dad as proof that they've gotten along better since. So you forgive him more. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the struggle, right? Because you, you read all these stories after this point. Yeah. So you don't expect it to, you don't expect it. And that was annoying to me. Yeah, no, I was, like, genuinely shocked when I read it. And, like, the fact that it was just, like, oh. And he didn't even really realize what was happening in this situation. Mm. Or at least he says he doesn't. That's a question of how reliable a narrator he is, right? But, yeah, yeah, I I was genuinely shocked. And I think, as I said, it it was a bit of a gut punch and a bit tonally awkward. Um, But I can't imagine where else he would share that story within the book. Like, especially if this was somebody like us picking up a David Sedaris book for the first time. You're not going to, like, delve into the trauma and then be like, oh, okay, but it's fine now. We forgive the dad because, you know, later on they have Christmases together. And I think it works that way because of how effective it was. Like, as you say, it, it affects the reader, right? Yeah. 
Like, I think if if it had been earlier on, it might have affected how we read the book. Whereas it was quite good to like have this, you know, from a from a reader's perspective of like, and like, sorry, no, hang on, from a uh, literary analyst's point of view, like it's the the setup of this book is so well. You get mm-hmm. drawn in, you are laughing, you enjoy reading about the family, and then wham, this big trauma that he dealt with when he was younger just is thrown out there being like also this happened but like as you've seen we're fine and you're just like right this is this is a a podcast i've just stood in silence with my mouth hanging open like nah did it again (laughs) like shocked pikachu shocked pikachu literally i have become a meme yeah i do think like it would be personally i probably would have put at least one more story there to kind of cushion the blow after that yeah because <laughs> there is one, Sorry, get, one very short story flow. but after but it, it really does seem like that's the end um but thank you amy yeah very thoughtful discussion there thanks amy i know we got right. deep i called us i called us literary analysts i know look at us gotta use our degree somehow right it's true all of that student loan money put it, being put to use. <laughs> um, so we have two more questions from Callum. Thank you, Callum. Thank you, Callum. All right. Callum's first question is, Sidaris set himself apart from the larger society throughout the book through differences in language, sobriety, culture, and otherwise. Why do you think he did this? Sorry, could you read that again? Sidaris set himself apart from the larger society throughout the book, through differences in language, sobriety, culture, and otherwise. Why do you think he did this? I think that's probably... Sorry, yeah, I just had to wrap my head around the question there for a hot second. I think... I think because that's the... That's the... That's the draw, right? That's the... The point of the book is his otherness throughout yeah. his life. Um, you know, growing up gay, um, grow, you know struggling with drugs um even moving to rally and having to be told that do not ever pick up their accent or you'll be disowned yep um just like that whole aspect of like a lot of these stories are about how he was on the outside of a bigger a bigger group um and i think that's probably one of the key themes of the book is his otherness but he does a really good job of not making it yeah like front front and center like it's just on the periphery at all times which is really really clever i really yeah i really enjoy it and i think like he has to set himself apart because otherwise no one's going to read an an autobiography or you know stories about somebody yeah. who's on the inside right nobody's nobody who's normal gets to write pithy novels about themselves and let's be honest, that wouldn't be enjoyable. Exactly. If they did. I had an easy life and I got my degree and everything was happy and I still talked to my friends and my parents loved me and I was never chucked out of the house. New York Times Sad. bestseller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Last question from Callum and last listener question in general. Thank you, Callum. What was your favorite story in the collection? I think I've played this card too early in the game. Oh, it definitely has to be the one about the cat. You know, that's fair. That is very fair. I, 
I've I've never laughed out loud on a bus like that before. I love it. I'm so happy and for you, and I'm so glad you got to share the quote. Me too. Yeah. I, well, I didn't really give you a chance, but it's like it's just um, it's just so funny. Like it's just so well written, and just the sort of obsession with pets. Like, we all know a family like that that has too many pets or has a rotation of pets. Yeah. And the phrase, the euthanasia, killed me. That that is, like, one of the contenders for my favorite story because it's, like, it's funny and heartbreaking and just it has a little bit of everything. It made me sad. It made me smile. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my one. What about you? Um, I think... I think it would probably be the remembering my childhood on the continent of Africa, the one yeah. where he's kind of stealing his boyfriend's stories, because we all do that. Like, we've all yeah, we all kind of pick up little like whether or not you're picking up other people's stories, you're picking up their witticisms, you're picking up the way they speak to kind of form yourself, right? Yeah, we're all just a patchwork quilt, right? Yeah. And I, I just kind of love that because it's it's putting like humor and words to something we all do that's kind of cringe. And I don't know, I just enjoyed it. It was a good one. Well, personal question. Oh, yes. Did this inspire you to, re- to learn French? No. Right? If anything, it, it inspired me to not learn French. Yeah. <laughs> They have a ridiculous counting system. I'm sorry, French people. You do. And I agree on the gender thing. It's unnecessary. Yeah. My table is non-binary. <laughs> I'm not laughing at non-binary. I'm laughing at the table. You are laughing at my non-binary table. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, Robbie, it feels like weird to ask you who your favorite character was because... But I'm going to do it. Who was your favorite character? That is weird. That feels weird because they're all real. They don't feel like characters. I think maybe the the sister from the earlier story because there's a quote. Oh, Lisa? Uh, no, not Lisa. Gretchen. This I found the quote and I oh, this just hit me. I loved it so much. Without copying anyone else, she had invented her own curious personality, which I envied even more than her artistic ability. Yeah, and I just I love that because I I relate a lot. Just like how the fuck are these people just original having vi- yeah original witty personalities? Fuck you! How dare you? Yeah, like I get my coolness from being approximate to other cool people, not myself. Yeah, I copy a lot of what I see on TV. Oh, see, that's a problem. I spent TV. a year after watching Gilmore Girls pretending to be Lorelai Gilmore. Oh, problematic. She's, I love it, but... She's pre- hey, Lorelai Gilmore is an angel, okay? Only Rory is a bit of a dick. I would say Lisa because we have the same name. That's fair. That's fair. That tracks. Yeah. Self-centered, but you know. Yeah. Easiest que- easiest answer over calling real people characters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also love the dogs. Yes. What about Neil? That's the boyfriend, right? No. <laughs> Neil is the the cat. 
the female cat. Neil, oh gosh, I forget everyone's names, but it's fine. <laughs> a cat, a boyfriend, so the same thing. Just feed the them same, and they're fine. Same thing, <laughs> truly, yeah. Oh, okay, well, how many stars would you rate this? Five stars, easy. Five stars, yeah. I'd do the same. I think it shocked me how much I enjoyed this one. I'm so glad because I have another book by him. I mean, we're not going to read it next month, but I will read it in my own time. Yeah. It's on my bookshelf, ready for me to go. I love that. Yeah. All right, Lisa, would you like to um, announce our February book club? Yes, I would. Would you like to give me a drum roll, please? Oh, yes, of course. <clears throat> <gasps> Raiders of the Lost Heart by Joe Segura. Oh, fun. That sounds good. Do you want to announce the plot twist or shall we keep that a surprise? I think we should give the plot twist now. Yeah. We'll be having an extra special guest co-host. Friend of the pod, Sarah. Yes, I am stepping down briefly for a February book club. Um, Your boy's got a lot on. Um, and Sarah has graciously, kindly managed to find time in her very busy schedule to join Lisa on what will be, I believe, an adorable romance Valentine's Day special book club. Yes, I'm so excited. It's a little bit Indiana Jones. It's a little bit romance. It's going to be delightful. I'm excited to listen to the episode. Like, I'm not even going to read the book, but I'm definitely going to listen to the episode just to hear you two swoon over characters. Oh, yes. It's going to be so much fun. Truly. Truly is. Join us. Um, Yes. So, personally for me, Lisa, thank you for giving me the month off. And thank you, Sarah, for stepping in. Um, you're going to do a great job and I foresee me being kicked off of book club in the future so um, I'm very excited for it you wish <laughs> <laughs> please kick me off of book club <laughs> 12 books a year simply too many honestly too many for my little brain <laughs> hey you're a literary analyst oh god oh god what have I done eat your words oh, oh right you yeah all right, you guys, thank you for joining us for Book Club again. Please please join Lisa and Sarah in February. Um, but that's it from us this week, this month. So until next month, keep, keep reading, reading fine. fine.